0: So uh, we have been working our way through a sermon series here at Grace called Questioned by God, where we're looking through the Bible and we're actually looking for the questions that God asks us in his word. And it's actually been this really fascinating, uh, kind of fun way to read the Bible together. And actually this morning is our final sermon in this particular series. And uh, we're going to be looking at a question from Mark 6 here in a minute. But the reason I've loved this so much is because, of course, we have questions for God, right? Of course we do. There's all kinds of things we don't understand. But when you start to read the Bible with this lens in place, actually, you see that God has way more questions for us in the Bible than we have for him. And the question is, why? Like, he doesn't need to know anything. He doesn't need more information. So why does he ask us so many questions? And you start to find out that these questions are questions of invitation. They're questions of welcome. They're questions that cause us to rethink our identity, that cause us to see his forgiveness and his grace in new ways, that cause us to grow in our relationship with him. They're not questions for more information. They're questions for our transformation. And when you start to see that, man, it really opens up God's word in a new way. So I'm going to read from Mark 6, starting in verse 31 this morning, and keep your ears open for the question that God has for you. All right? And he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they were all, or they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. All right, how many loaves do you have? How's that for a question, huh? You might think that's a strange one to end on, uh, a little bit random maybe. It's not as, insp- it's not as uh, penetrating as what is your name, that we looked at earlier in the series. It's not as epic as where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth that we also looked at earlier in this series, but don't sleep on this one. Don't pass by on this one too quickly. How much food did you bring today for lunch is actually a question when we get into it that gets to the very heart of the gospel and the very heart of the mission of God in this world more on that in a minute. First, an awesome story. All right, any kids in this room who can tell their parents, and all the adults here actually, who the very first explorers were who went all the way across America and found the Pacific Ocean? Anybody know this? Come on, history buffs. The year is 1806. Thomas Jefferson sends, come on, you're not a kid. You're not a kid. Lewis and Clark. I don't know if that was a kid's voice I heard give me that answer or not. Okay. Lewis and Clark are sent on this mission, Thomas Jefferson, 1806. They had just kind of bought the the whole western swath of the United States and he said, go find me a route to the Pacific Ocean. Okay. So um, they load up their boats with all the gear that they need and they take the Missouri River all the way until they run out of river and they end in the Rocky Mountains. And then, at the Rocky Mountains, they've got to hike over the pass, and on the other side, they've got to take the river back down to the Pacific Ocean on the Columbia. The problem is, what they left their boats on the other side, right? They weren't going to carry their boats over the mountains, so now they're sitting on the other side of the Rockies, they're looking at the river they need to raft, but they don't have any boats, and so they chop down trees and they build homemade canoes all right, homemade canoes, and they start cruising down the Columbia, and the coolest part of the whole story is that they get to this section of the river where there's rapids, and today that section of the river is actually a class six rapid, and it's illegal to raft it, okay, it's, a, it's like commercially illegal, but they have, they, there's, there's only one way they, to go, and so they just, you know, buckle up in their homemade canoes, the natives are literally standing on the cliffs waiting for them to crash and die so they can just take their stuff. And they bomb the Class 6 rapids in their homemade canoes and everybody cruises right on through. I mean, these guys were like hardcore, all right? So they keep going down the Columbia River and as they get closer and closer, they know the goal is in sight. They know the Pacific Ocean is out there somewhere. They just don't know how far it is. No one's ever made this journey before. And so as they keep drinking the water from the river they're floating, one day, one of the guys sticks his Nalgene in the river and takes a sip, and you know what he tastes for the very first time? Salt. Salt. He tastes a little bit of salt, just the first piece of salt. And of course, water, or rivers are fresh water, but as you get closer and closer to the ocean, some of that salt water gets pulled up the river into the fresh water. And so the second he tasted that first speck of salt, he knew they were close. He knew they were really close. It could be their goal, their destination, could be right around the next bend in the river. Um, In some ways, that first taste of salt was a sign of their certain future getting pulled into their present, didn't it? And it changed everything. Hope was rising. Their destination was in view. They couldn't see it, but they knew they were close. They knew they were near. This is actually something that Jesus was doing constantly in his ministry on earth. It's almost a definition of the whole mission, his teaching, his miracles, his life, his death, the resurrection we celebrated last week. Jesus pulls that certain future that we're all waiting for of heaven into our present lives, and he gives us a taste of what it's going to be like. He gives us a a taste of heaven, even though we're not there yet. His kingdom is very, very close, maybe around the next bend in the river. We do not know yet when we're going to get there and fully arrive, but there are tastes of it along the way, because Jesus came, and he's at work, and he's with us. In our passage this morning, Jesus provides a taste of the future kingdom of God. And you know what the future kingdom of God tastes like? A giant, delicious feast for everybody who shows up. When Jesus brings the certain future hope of his kingdom to our present life, he does two things. He provides a kingdom meal And then he sends us on a kingdom mission. All right, that's what we're going to see in this passage. So at the beginning, we read Jesus invites his disciples to join him in a desolate place to rest. A little weekend getaway with the guys, okay? It's been a busy season of ministry. They need a little R&R, so they go on vacation. The Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, we learn this is an area called Bethsaida. This was on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, far from the lush green hills of Jerusalem. This was the Styx, it was the desert, it was the wilderness. Well, here's the problem. The little weekend retreat didn't work out because too many people recognized Jesus. They ran ahead of him to where he was going to land on the other side of the lake. And when he lands there, we learn that 5,000 men are waiting for him. But that's the Bible's way of saying 5,000 families. And so once you add great-aunt Bertha, the grandmas, the kids, we're talking like 20,000 people are sitting there waiting to receive Jesus on his little vacation getaway with the guys. And that is why there is so much grace and so much kindness in verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Even Jesus had to adjust course when other people intruded on his time, on his energy, on his plans 20,000 people crashed his vacation. He wasn't angry. Jesus always has time for people. He always has time for you. He always has time for you. He doesn't see rude people, annoying people, sinful people as intrusions on his mission. We are his mission. He came to be with us and to heal us. He gives great value and dignity to everyone he encounters. Verse 34 it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, the hour's late. Send everyone away to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat, right? But instead of sending people away from himself to be satisfied, Jesus, the king, shows them that satisfaction is always found wherever he is, whether it's in the middle of the wilderness or a desert or not. Jesus took the meager resources that were available in the whole crowd, 5 loaves of bread and 2 fish. Mark 6:39 through 42, we read this. He commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down by hundreds and fifties. And taking these 5 loaves and 2 fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to disciples to set before the people. He divided the 2 fish among them, and they all ate. And we satisfied. Every single person, 20, the first megachurch, 20,000 people gathered to hear Jesus teach. And they were all satisfied by this meal that he provided in the middle of the desert. Did you know this is the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four gospels? This is the only one that all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all decide of all the things he did, this one has to be in there. Why? There's something central about this to Jesus's mission. There's something central about his identity, emblematic of everything that he came to do. Jesus feeds his people a satisfying feast right in the middle of a barren desert. That's Jesus. That's what he does back then. That's what he has always been doing for his people from the beginning. Um, When the Israelites were saved from slavery and they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided them food daily so that they could live and survive miraculously. This is how God teaches us to pray. We just prayed it together a minute ago. Our Father, who's reigning right now in His heavenly kingdom, glory be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is right now in heaven. In other words, Bring us a taste of what it's like to be with you. How should we expect that taste to come? What should we pray for to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth? Give us this day our what? Daily bread, right? He's feeding us, nourishing us through our journey in this world. This is how God calls us to respond to him in faith today. We don't tend to think of America in 2021 as a barren desert wilderness. that's not the first thing that comes into our mind. In large part, we're well provided for. We're globally wealthy with access to health care and education and food and, and safe homes. In many ways, our lives are places of riches and opportunities, but we do live in a world of hunger, don't we? Maybe not physical hun- hunger, but spiritual hunger. You can almost feel it. That We live in a desert of meaning and purpose. We live in a wilderness of deep, spiritual, life-giving friendships with people to journey through life with that point us to Jesus. We, if we listen, I mean, this is true, this is fascinating, even the richest and most successful around us are often plagued with a desert of the soul. If we listen to the testimonies of those who have made it in this world, who've experienced the success that all of us sort of wish that we would want, the money, the fame, the power, whatever it is, the universal consensus that comes back from the land of success is that it's actually still barren there, too. I listened to just a few of the testimonies. Jim Carrey, famous actor, very wealthy. Uh, He says, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they could see this is not the answer to anything. Uh, Halle Berry, you guys remember her, the actress who is basically famous for being beautiful? Uh, Gorgeous woman, right? Um, She writes, being thought of as as a beautiful woman has spared me no heartache in life. Beauty is essentially meaningless and transitory. Tom Brady, after winning his first two Super Bowls, we don't even know how many he's won at this point, do we? He is literally running out of fingers. Um, But when he was only 26, married to a supermodel, huge contracts on the way, he sits down with an interview for 60 minutes, and he says, God, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. I'm not saying these folks are wicked or ungodly or otherwise amazing people. They very well might be. I'm just saying they've been to the place we wish we could be, and they've come back with this message. Uh, Yeah, no, it's still a wilderness there. It's still a desert. We still need more than anything this world can offer. All the reports are in. There's emotional wilderness their social wilderness, the new kingdom that Jesus established when he paid for our sins on the cross and was raised victorious over death and ascended to his seat on the throne is here. And it offers us something new and refreshing and life-giving in an otherwise barren world. He offers a home to the homeless. He offers healing from past wounds, those you have done those that have been done to you. He offers a way forward through shame to freedom from that nagging sense that we're not okay. He makes us okay. He he says, you're mine. You're safe in my family forever. He offers us a new community. Jesus provides everything we need. He doesn't take you out of the wilderness necessarily. Your circumstances might not change, but he sustains you he feeds you. The future satisfaction of his love has broken into our world, and he's offering you a taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Enjoy his presence with you. Experience his peace, his joy, and his grace. Receive the gifts of heaven through faith in Jesus. A satisfying meal for our souls in the middle of a desert. I mean, that sums up the very gift that Jesus has offered. It's why he came, it's his gift to you, and it's the gift he calls you to give to others. Yes, the promise of the gospel of grace is that Jesus will satisfy us completely, he'll feed his hungry people, but if we read this closely, we see that he actually asked his people to do the feeding on his behalf, doesn't he? Verse 37, Jesus says to his disciples, When they're asking, where are these people going to get something to eat? He says, you give them something to eat. And they look back at him like he's totally off his rocker. He says, how many loaves do you have? And so they go and see. They start to ask around. Uh, And the Gospel of John tells us is actually a little boy uh, who offers all that he has to Jesus. Five loaves and two fish. A boy maybe no bigger than our friends here uh, from his little feet right? He's not that big, and what he has to offer is not that big, Uh, but none of that matters because this boy is offering it to the one who is big enough to satisfy everyone who comes to him. It would be tempting, and actually very logical and very reasonable, to think how far can such a meager snack go for 20,000 people gathered to hear Jesus? And by the way, if they give even that away, won't they, and if they try to share it, instead of them having even a little bit, now nobody gets anything, right? I mean, you've basically taken away the only resources that are available and made it meaningless. But of course, of course, that's not how God's kingdom works, is it? If you're curious about Christianity, Maybe you're here investigating the claims of Jesus this morning. You're trying to figure out if this is true or if it makes any sense of the world or if this is at all compelling for your life. Here's the heart of Christianity, all right? Here's how God's kingdom works. You can sum it up in just two words, feast and feed, all right? Um, Feast on the free meal of grace provided for you free of charge in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Receive that gift from him for free and then give that gift to others. Feast on his riches. Feed those around you. Feed your family, your neighbors, and the world out of the riches that you've been fed with Jesus, the way we talk about it here at our church is we, our goal, our mission is to experience the gospel of grace and then extend the kingdom of God. Receive the gifts, share the gifts. So how many loaves do you have when you start digging around in your backpack? All right, this is Jesus's question for us all this morning. What small contributions and efforts and mundane tasks that make up our day are you willing to submit to Jesus without having any idea how he could possibly use it to satisfy his people? Are you willing to hand it over to him to use as he will? Even though it feels like it might be all you have, and even though it feels like it is certainly not enough to make any dent in progress or or impact, will you hand it to him so that he can take it up into his kingdom and make it far greater than it ever could have been in your hands alone? What are you carrying in your backpack that, might, that you might be willing to invest in Jesus' mission in the world? There's a hundred ways we can answer this question, obviously. Our, our financial resources can be invested in his kingdom, his church, other Christian organizations like his little feet that serve some of the most vulnerable people in the world. But even beyond that, our homes are a gift that God gave us to be extended as a gift to others as we bring people in in hospitality and warmth. Any expertise you have professionally, financial, mechanical, legal, you can loan to others. It's a loaf of bread you can pull out of your bag and offer in God's hands in his service for the good of those around us. And our time, which of course is our most valuable resource that all of us carry, also in some ways our most limited, can be offered and given as a gift to those around us as an act of generosity and love. You might be thinking exactly what the disciples were thinking that day when they looked in their backpacks. I don't have nearly enough to help anyone else in a substantial way. Uh, from what I'm looking at here, I'm barely going to make it through the day on my own. My schedule's packed, my budget's tight, my time's consumed, just keeping me and my family afloat. But here's the crazy thing about the way God's kingdom works. Jesus transforms our small offering, normal everyday life service to him, into something so much bigger than it would have been if it just stayed in our hands. And he does this in a way that doesn't take from us, that doesn't steal from us, that doesn't use us or manipulate us or leave us burnt out and and dispensed with. In fact, as we give to him, he blesses us in return. Um, God works from a theology of leftovers, as one uh, author I read put it. The more we give, the more leftovers we have to enjoy. It's amazing. Twelve men gave all they had, and when Jesus had taken it up, given it away, and then collected the leftovers, how many baskets full of crumbs were there? Twelve. That's not an accident, right? He is saying, give me what you will, and I will use it and expand it to fulfill my mission, and what will be returned to you is even more than you had before. We cannot lose by investing our lives in God's kingdom. Let me read you um, a short quote from N.T. Wright, one of my go-to guys. He says, you are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become, in due course, part of God's new and eternal world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, and of course, every prayer, every deed that spreads the gospel and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. That is the logic of the mission of God. And that's what he has called you to as his church. How many loaves do you have? What can you offer in service to God's mission in this church, in this valley, and in this world? That day on the hill, Jesus... um, gave a meal that satisfied everybody who joined him, everybody who was present. He offered a taste of his kingdom, and it was satisfying. Every week that we gather, we uh, sit together at the Lord's table as well. And in this, t- in this meal, this is the family meal for the people of God, this is a meal where God offers, again, a taste a taste of the goodness that he's given us, the kindness that he's shown us, but also it's a place where he sends us from, satisfied so that we can be a gift to others. This is the family meal of the people of God. If you look to Jesus alone as your, as, as your hope, your salvation in the world, uh, and you'd like to join us in this sacrament, you are welcome here. The way we celebrate it... Uh, during the days of COVID, is with these individually wrapped communion cups. So if you'd like to participate in the sacrament and you haven't grabbed one of these yet, you can find a few more out there on the table in the foyer. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. In other words, you're sent on my mission in the world until I come to bring it to fruition, to make it fully real, where we can all enjoy it into eternity. Let's drink together. I'm going to invite the kids up for one more song to close us out. And as they make their way up, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for the joy that you have brought to our church family. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for satisfying our souls in a way nothing else can in this world. Thank you for filling us with your presence and your hope and your joy and your love and your grace. God, help us have the courage to move out into the world and offer that same gift to those around us, to feast on your love and to share it. We ask these things in your name. Amen.